Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hahn. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, we'll be sharing insights from recent health IT virtual events. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Well, you attended a few virtual events, Colin? Yeah, three in the last just week alone. It's been crazy. <laughs> just absolutely crazy. It's been a lot of fun too, but just a lot of video conference calls, a lot of, you know, presentations online. Uh, it's been intense. It's been intense. Yeah, I think I've hit six, five or six this month. And one of them, I said, I'm going to see how many Zoom calls I can do in a day. And it was somewhere around, I think it was around 10 that I tried to do with the people. So <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. We, and, you know, on top of the three I went to, we, we did two of our own, right? Like we, we did our own expo.health event or we did a HitMic event. Uh, and then, you know, just so many conferences. We had health, we had uh, MGMA's annual uh, event, which was called MPEC 20 this year. We had Atlas event. Uh, from Kairos, yeah. and then we had um, what's the Ahima one? as well. Ahima, that's right, Ahima. So, oh, geez, see, it's yep. all a blur. <laughs> that is the problem, and you know, I, I, but I think there were some great insights that came out of the event, and and some interesting announcements. I, I think people are treating announcements a little bit differently, but I think there were a couple announcements that were pretty interesting, and of course, they kind of lead up into the events. But the ones that hit me was like Coral Health's announcement of the rebrand of their company. And I think they combined six companies, if I remember right, into one new brand. And so it's interesting they did it. And then another one was Providence Health rolled off. I think it's called Tigra or Tigra, depending on if you do a Spanish pronunciation or not. But it, you know, I, I think it was the, their new brand. And that was nine companies that they were combining together. So I thought that was an interesting trend I saw as we led into these events was these large companies coming together and informing these kind of super companies, if you will, that, you know, I think it's going to be interesting because how is that going to play out for a end user perspective? But from the same thought, like the services that are needed by healthcare organizations, especially health IT services, but then you add in revenue cycle and other, you know, call center services, et cetera, you kind of want to work with one vendor. So I wonder if this is the new evolution is, hey, I want someone who can do all of these things. Don't give me seven companies that I have to work with. Well, I think certainly just in general, I mean, healthcare wants to reduce the number of vendors that they deal with, right? You can see, we saw it in the med device space. We saw it in the consumable space. I'd rather just go with one rather than the 50 organizations individually. Yeah. So not surprising that we're seeing the same sort of movement on the IT side. So, which may be leading some of these companies to, to you know, get ahead of the curve and say, okay, like I'd rather be the one rather than be consumed by, by one. Well, um, it's also private equity getting in, right? They're, they're yeah, starting to throw their money around. So that will be interesting. That's true too. But I, I agree with you. I think it's more around, I'd rather, you know, I think a lot of people are realizing they need to provide a more comprehensive solution. So rather than doing the point solutions, they're getting together with someone who's adjacent to them. And that way they're offering more to the client. And frankly, in this time, you know, this kind of uncertain time, 
it's probably a great way to mitigate your risk, right? If any one of these uh, business areas goes down, you've now got four others that may be stable or actually rise. Whereas if you're a single um, solution provider, if that one particular solution isn't sort of a hot item for COVID, uh, you're going to be kind of um, hosed, a Canadian term, uh, for uh, <laughs> for a while. So, uh, so it's a smart move. I think it's a smart move, and it was a pretty good announcement. I liked, um, you know, Dalton and, and Patterson and 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 company there at Coral Health did an amazing job with their brand. Uh, they launched that new website in a, in a fairly quick manner, and their messaging was spot on. And, and Ahima, which is where they, I won't say they debuted it, but but where the big sort of uh, coming out party happened. I mean, that's a lot of work to do. Uh, in time for an uh, for a conference that large, yeah, and I think your point's really well made around companies needing to diversify and make sure they're prepared for all the changes that are happening. You know, I had a really interesting meeting with Patient Keeper, which they have this great charge capture solution. Doctors love it and all of that. But they were talking about a new solution they have, which is more of an analytics solution that looks at all your appointments, it looks at all your charges and says, hey, is there a mismatch? Like, did you not bill for something you should have? And, you know, helps you identify revenue, which is a powerful thing to have. But it was interesting that Patient Keeper was doing that. But as I thought about it more, I'm like, oh, if ambient clinical voice really takes off the way I think it will, you know, you don't need charge capture if the AI is doing it for you. So maybe patient keeper, you know, and certainly they've got a, a while to, before this becomes reality, but they may have seen the writing on the wall and said, hey, we need to diversify what we're doing because ambient clinical voice could, you know, eat up some of the car charge capture. So I, I thought it was a smart move by them to move to some analytics as well. One of the things I heard, one of the, and it was funny, was you know, you talk about announcements. Um, the big news for me was actually, you're right, John. I don't think there was as many announcements tied to the events that we've seen when it was in person. I think, you know, without the sort of draw of a hundred or thousands of people together, I guess there wasn't that urgency to make a big splashy announcement when you had an online event. I think some companies did and they think they were effective, but I think for the most uh, part, these companies didn't, didn't sort of time their announcements whenever it was done and whenever they were ready, they did the announcement. And if there was an event at the time, great. If not, they still did it. So I didn't, I asked a lot of the companies I met with at AHIMA and at MGMA's event, and they just didn't have anything that they did special for the event. Um, they, they maybe had a, an announcement three weeks ago, or there was one that's sort of maybe coming down the pipe, but there was this sort of lack of, of, of announcements that happened at the event, which to yeah. me was sort of a bit of, a, of an eye opener. Yeah, and it's interesting, Health, uh, HLTH, their event, they try to puff up, you know, 600 announcements or whatever the number is that they, you know, that their companies are going to announce at the event. But I guess I've just always seen healthcare. I'm like, what would be an announcement that would really catch my eye and be like, wow, that's breaking news. Unfortunately for me, most of the announcements from these health IT companies is, oh, we're partnering. But like, is that really that big of an announcement? <laughs> okay, Epic partnered with Lyft. That's kind of cool and interesting and that they're opening up. But like the announcement becomes interesting in six months when they say, oh, we partnered and we did X, Y, Z, right? We had this right. result. So I don't know. I'm just not on the, you know, that there's big breaking news that needs to be announced. So, you know, I think they're, they're incremental movements. There's partnerships and that's great, you know, or maybe they get some certification or whatnot, but, you know, 
six months from when they announce it is when the real interesting stuff is where it's like, okay, you announced it, you partnered, but did you do anything together? <laughs> like then, then I wanted to hear about it. No, you're absolutely right. And we're kind of entering into hitmic territory here, but you're, you're right. I mean, I think what this may be teaching some of us in the marketing world is why do we tie all the announcements to these events, right? Like maybe if we just did it on a Wednesday, three weeks before, we actually get my, might get more play because nothing else is happening. Right. Yeah. Whereas instead, whereas we try to do it on the event, you've got 400 other people making announcements too. So it'll be interesting to see if that's a, a lasting trend or if there's any lasting impact on that. But certainly for me, it, it made my life a little bit easier because there wasn't sort of this rush to go and talk to people about all these announcements. We could really sit down and talk about business and, and talk about uh, some of the things happening. And, and on that note, you know, I met with Waystar, I met with Imagine, I met with a bunch of people at Ahima. And uh, it was really interesting uh, what they were, and, uh, and sorry, at uh, MGMA as well. And the theme of telehealth came up, but it was telehealth back office. So, mm. you know, we've been writing about, John, you know, a lot about telehealth on the front end side, like the adoption mm. of the technology and so forth. But um, a lot of the people I talked to um, in the uh, RCM world, the revenue cycle, were saying, hey, they were getting a ton of questions and a ton of concern from their customers about how do I bill telehealth <laughs> properly, right? How do I keep it from getting rejected? And on the other side, they're like, how do I make sure that I'm not going to be seen as like, you know, doing, you know, being, doing something fraudulent because it's going to look like my volume went from like zero to like almost a hundred percent telehealth, right? Which is sort of <laughs> a bit strange, right? So they, had, they were feeling all these questions and, and a lot of these companies like Imagine and, and uh, like, uh, Waystar, we're having to kind of staff up or just really become the experts in this area in order to provide services and provide good advice to their customers, which I thought was very interesting because I never really, to be honest, never really thought about sort of these downstream impacts of implementing something like telehealth. And so they were experiencing this huge uptick in demand for this kind of expertise. And they've had to go and of course, they've had to go out and learn it along with all of the rest of us. Definitely. And I, I, I've seen some interesting trends in this regard, and it's kind of related to what you're talking about. And at the core of what you're talking about is how am I going to get paid? And I think there's a lot of concern and, you know, some of the MGMA stats and reports about how COVID was, has impacted practices is, is, uh, is startling, right? But, uh, you know, you look at that and you say, yeah, a lot of them are saying, okay, how am I going to survive? How am I going to be able to thrive even in this world that's pretty challenging, you know, whether it's getting paid for telehealth, but I, I loved a solution I saw from MD Audit. And, you know, at first it was just a basic audit you know, tracker, you know, kind of filter by provider, then, you know, give me a few records and let me show you that I audited it. Cool education piece. But then they showed me this bubble chart, which was, you know, almost an analytic solution, right? Which I guess I'm a data nerd a little bit, but, <laughs> you know, like they had this bubble chart that showed the outliers who might be upcoding and we're at risk for some sort of liability because they're overcoding for the situation. And then also they had the ones in the bottom left that were the undercoding. Where can I get revenue out of people that might be undercoding? How should I audit maybe those undercoders so that I can generate more revenue for my organization? I thought that was another theme and healthcare trend that was really interesting to me that you know was really useful because it's again, how can I get paid more for doing the things that you know, quite frankly, we're already doing, but, you know, I need to maximize whatever revenue I can into my organization. 
Yeah, just and you know, again on that theme, John, I, it's part of some of these online events that I that I, I got a chance to sit down with MGMA because they put out a study around uh, better performers, right? And uh, you know, what are they doing that's different? What are they doing to that's uh, so impressive? And because they were better performers, according to MGMA, you know, earn a significant amount of more revenue than the average uh, practice. And ironically, what they have found was these people spend more on infrastructure, right? On spend more on IT, spend more on staffing, uh, which is really counterintuitive when you think about it. They actually spend more, yet they make more. Um, but it goes to what you just said there, where a lot of where, the, where these folks have spent is investing in people who really specialize in this revenue side, right? Mm. So the doctor is not doing the coding themselves. The doctor is not doing the submission of the claims and the processing of that or figuring out how to do price transparency. They have a team of people or maybe they outsource that. And that's allowed them to be more nimble. And to your point, it has allowed them to work with those kinds of partners, those that have made the investment, to make sure that they're maximizing the dollars that they are supposed to be getting, right? And, and they're, not, they're not as overwhelmed as maybe who someone who is doing it themselves, which I took as a really kind of a key insight there around revenue cycle uh, from these better performers. No, and I think that's interesting. They spent more, but they made more. And, you know, they always say you have, you have to spend money to make money. I, I think that can be overstated, especially in clinical practices sometimes. But I think it's more about the efficiency that they're doing. And they're able to spend more because they've created more efficiencies that allow them to make more revenue, which allows them to, you know, obviously be more profitable, which is a great thing. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. And today we're talking about a lot of the trends and insights and interesting things that we've seen in the, a lot of the online events that we've been to recently. So John, maybe we, let me ask you that question. What, what are some of the more interesting uh, things you've seen or the quotes or interesting or kind of shocking quotes maybe that you've heard while we've been on these online events? Yeah. So there was one that stood out to me thinking back at this and saying, what, you know, what was, you know, that I'm still mulling on. And I, I think it was at MGMA and I, sorry, I don't remember the reference of who, uh, but it fits really well for MGMA. So it makes sense why they did say it there. Uh, but they said, healthcare has been managing, not leading. And I thought that was just a, such a fascinating example of, of how many healthcare organizations have done it. In fact, healthcare is just so profitable because we need healthcare services. There's a certain level that we expect. We expect to pay a certain amount. You know, there's demand because we all get sick, right? I mean, like, right. So they've kind of almost taken for granted the idea that it's a business too. And mm. so they've just managed the patients and, you know, and they've been successful and they've cared for them and they've provided great services, but that's different than leading, which means how do we transform the healthcare industry? How are we prepared for all these changes to consumerization or things like that. So I thought it was really interesting about, you know, managing versus leading and how that's kind of how a lot of healthcare organizations have been run for quite a while. Uh, I think one of the more shocking quotes uh, I heard was uh, from the uh, MGMA MPEC conference. Um, and it was from Michael O'Connell from Stanford Health, who in a presentation that he was giving, basically said that they thought they would have a tough time recruiting new clinicians for a lot of the initiatives that they were doing. Uh, and it turned out that it was far easier than it had ever been. 
uh, which is really, really, that was shocking to me because you'd think that during the middle of the pandemic, everyone wants to hold on to every physician, every nurse, every person they can. But it turned out that wasn't the case, <laughs> that, wow. that it was very easy for them to hire these new, uh, very qualified clinicians for the roles that they had. And, uh, you know, he kind of, you know, gave a couple of potential reasons, you know, one, that, you know, there were certainly some clinicians who were furloughed, because if you were in the elective surgeries or elective procedures area, maybe those were canceled and, and postponed. Uh, and also, you know, he was saying maybe this was sort of a time when people were actually reflecting back on to what they really wanted to get out of their careers, right? And having being locked in their house for so long, you know, they kind of, you kind of started thinking that way. So whatever the case was, he was very happy and was totally shocked and floored that this was uh, the case. And, and I certainly was shocked hearing it. Yeah, that is surprising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think COVID's caused a lot of us to ask a lot of questions. So I guess in that regard, it's understandable. You know, I was thinking of one other, and I can't remember the exact quote, but they had a speaker at the MGMA MPEC event. Uh, and man, you should go watch her. She was fantastic around around leadership and what leadership qualities are needed. And, and I mean, she was amazing. Uh, but she talked about one thing that leaders don't do is show humility there they, they feel like okay as a leader i need to be perfect and i need to project this perfection and all is well and she's and i think she even said don't get me wrong you need to do some of that right like you don't want to project that hey the business is failing and all that but she said take opportunities to be humble she's like so just in the next week she's like take a moment to go out there and say where's something where i can say i don't know how to do this will you help me to your team and she's like, it's amazing how powerful that is because it shows trust in your team. It shows that you're, you know, that you're human and you know, that you're willing to listen, all those things. Right. So anyway, that was an amazing session as well. No, that, speaking of leadership, I was at um, the Axis uh, Atlas event put on by Kairos and they had Admiral McRaven. Uh, as for their keynote. And, you know, of course, he's the, the guy who was in charge at the time when they took down, um, you know, Osama bin Laden and they, okay. they captured Saddam Hussein, right? And yep. so he talked about leadership and being a Navy SEAL and, and he, very similar um, uh, uh, things to, to what you just said, John, that, you know, the, the opportunity for a military leader to show humility to, to, to know that, you know, what the rank and file has gone through, they've gone through was very powerful and a very, uh, very great way for the military to connect. And he talked about at length about all the different ways that they go through in training to basically build that teamwork. And his message to, to the folks that were listening, of course, was, Hey, you don't have to obviously go neck deep in the mud uh, for three days in order to learn how to work together. Although that works. <laughs> Although apparently it works really well, apparently. Uh, what he was basically saying is that in healthcare, you're already doing that. Like you're every day you're in the mud together, mm, that's a good helping one. out. And, and that was sort of his analogy. And I thought that was really powerful. And, and uh, so it wasn't shocking. It was just more like, wow, like, I guess really, you know, we, we obviously the people working on the front lines, um, you know, they probably feel they felt it certainly during COVID, but on a day to day basis, I'm not sure they would equate what they do to what a Navy SEAL does. But uh, the, the retired Admiral basically made that analogy to say, oh, I think it's uh, very similar, right? You're using the skills, you're practicing at the top of your games is exactly what we teach our guys uh, in the military to do. So I thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, I think you and I should go hike 
Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, you know, that would be a good way to humble both of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, a nice shared experience, which ironically, I actually pulled that from your session that you uh, moderated at MPEC. Uh, one of your speakers said, you know, because I think you asked, uh, what are you doing during COVID to kind of de-stress, which that was an interesting trend of these virtual events. I saw that in, in a number of different ones where it's like they switch gears and say, how are you surviving? You know, <laughs> like it didn't like you, you were talking about marketing, you were talking about rev cycle. And then you're like, what are you doing to de-stress? And you're like, oh, we all want that too. So it was kind of cool. And <laughs> you guys did it in your panel and, and she was going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So she's getting out and hiking. But, you know, I think those type of experiences do show good leadership. They, you know, do bring people together and bond in a way that's pretty unique. So, um, and I think that's, you know, you know, as we talk about virtual events and kind of wrap up this episode, Virtual events have a challenge because you don't have that shared experience the same way you do if you're in person and, you know, 20,000 people, 10,000 people in a room kind of feeling the same vibes, you know, going to the same dance party, feeling the exhibit hall. So you don't have those bonding. So to me, that was one of the challenges of virtual events, I think. And interestingly enough, from, as I did these different virtual events, I like craved the face-to-face the unpredictable, if you will. And so every opportunity I had to get on a Zoom call with an exhibitor or to, you know, engage with a human rather than just listen to education, which there's nothing wrong with good education, but every opportunity I had to engage with a human, I was excited to do because I craved that connection and I craved that unpredictability and the randomness of it that, you know, usually happens at an in-person event. And so I was, you know, and there were some that were good. I mean, I, I you know, props to Ahima, their platform told you when there was a human there and I would go hop in and talk to some people and had a great experience that way. Yeah, I had the same with the uh, MJMA event. Uh, it was really nice to be able to connect live to some of these exhibitors and sponsors in their sort of virtual exhibit hall and uh, just being able to talk to them again, one-on-one or one-to-many. And yeah, it was, not, you know, you, you, people got notified when, when, they knew, when you knew someone was there. So it was like, it was similar to being at a booth. I did enjoy that. I did also you have enjoyed- anywhere you joined in and then they're like, you know what? Um, and then someone else would join in and they're like, oh, by the way, this is Steve. He's our expert on whatever you were just talking about. Like I had that happen once or twice. I was like, that's kind of cool because if I was in person, I go to a booth and I'm like, tell me about your EHR product. They're like, oh, they're not in the booth. Sorry. Can we send you later? But in this case that you, know, you can tell in the background, they're typing and sending a message. Hey, Steve, will you hop on the Zoom? And then Steve comes on and answers my question. So that part was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. Although I think, John, for you and I, what more more often what happened was the PR person showed up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no, I can't talk to the press. I got to bring my PR person in. But but no, I mean, it did happen to me a couple of times there. <laughs> but I like that. Um, I think for me, you know, I think the, the, I came to recognize that the speakers who really, really over animated, who I guess if you saw them in person, you would go, man, they're they're hamming it up. But on a on a on a interface like this, I felt they needed to do that. Otherwise it wasn't enough. Like if you just stood up and presented or even sat and presented it in your normal voice in your normal way, it probably wasn't enough to kind of drive that energy. It takes so much more energy to, to do you know, what you need to do online versus in person. So I found that was sort of my takeaway from this. And so for that reason, I think a lot of the sessions, they came off a little bit, you know, 
a little bit bland, a little bit like down a little bit. But there were some really amazing speakers throughout all of them. Like a couple at Ahima, a couple at MPEC, a couple at Kyra, certainly, where they you could tell they had over they were over animating themselves. And it was really it made a huge difference for me. And I thought that was really cool. And I also liked some of the other unique things that some of the people were doing. Like they had that trail map thing that they were doing at MGMA. They had the uh, interactive mural that was happening. Yeah, that was cool. I thought that was cool. And there were some really cool networking things that, that uh, Atlas, uh, sorry, that Kairos did where they actually had a, they actually um, did a penguin feeding that they oh, showed really? online. That was their break, right? They actually went to the, they, uh, it was the aquarium there and they actually tapped into the feed and they did a special feeding for people watching. And it was so relaxing to watch them feed penguins. <laughs> it was awesome. So, so creative, right? So I like that. I like that. That was, that was really fun to, to be there. Yeah, you're so right about the energy of the speaker, though. It makes it makes so much difference. That and to me, that's the description is what's the energy that they bring. I think that's so powerful. You know, it was interesting too uh, during the Ahima one. They had a chat room next to each of the sessions, and the Ahima people were just going off in the chat room. It was really amazing, uh, you know, to see them interacting and engaging, making jokes, you know, all sorts of you know, sharing resources, all sorts of things like that. And at one point, someone said, can we have chat rooms at in-person events in the future when we go back to in-person events? And I just thought to myself, man, Colin and I have been doing this forever on Twitter because that's essentially what we have with the hashtag for a conference is a chat room with a bunch of really smart, cool people. And Nahima finally discovered it because they put it next to it, right? And so, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, and I, I, you know, I commented, I said, just hop on the Twitter hashtag and that's essentially what you get. And uh, But it was cool to see them discover it and realize, yeah, it is so much more fun. You know, I mean, an event that doesn't have the back channel is almost annoying to me now <laughs> because yeah, exactly. we've done it so much but it was cool to see kind of their discovery of that and being able to experience this bimodal learning and connection that i you know you and i take for granted for i guess for granted. yeah <laughs> no for sure so much. <laughs> for sure and, and that happened during the the panel that i did for uh, mgma right like you just see the chat just blow up when we when some people were making amazing comments and and yeah all i could think of in my head was boy this is like this should be on Twitter so that the world can see it, not just the people at the conference, right? Yeah. Or just not the people who were just in that one session. So, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that'll be the first taste for these folks to get on the real Twitter and get into uh, connecting that way. Yeah, and I'll throw in one more thing that's a little different. It's interesting about your penguin thing. I think that's actually much more interesting, but I actually didn't participate in many of the social ones. And I really wanted to, but I think with the time zone change, it's just weird because if they're doing a 6 p.m. social event, that's 3 p.m. for me on the West Coast. And so it's like, wait, so I'm supposed to get into DJ mood at 3 p.m. I don't know. It, it, the timing screwed me up. I don't know. It, it was, that was hard. But uh, so I kind of missed some of those things that so I, I don't know how well they went because the timing was weird. But, you know, other than that, I mean, it, it was still great to connect with people and see people. Yeah, it is fun. I think, you know, all of us, uh, and especially the organizers are really just feeling their way and they're learning. And uh, I think, you know, these are these being much later than the early stages of the pandemic. I think they've learned some good lessons here and they tried to apply them. So I, I applied all of the organizers, um, you know, Ahima, MGMA, um, Kairos and, and Health, you know, for, for trying and experimenting with some of these things to try and keep people engaged and socializing and networking. And I, th I think um, hopefully it just bodes well for online events in the future. Yeah, 2021, might, well, it's going to be better online either way, but hopefully we're back to in-person. <laughs>
And John, hey, we're at the end of another episode here of our podcast and our episodes. So thank you to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page at healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com or on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.